Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage, a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome a very special guest, Jim Christ. Jim, welcome back and thank you for coming back to the program. Sure. Thank you, Arch. Jim is the president of the Paoli Historical Preservation, which we know is the Paoli Battlefield. So I've asked Jim to come today and talk about the importance of the Paoli Battle and then also the Heritage Day, which is a major event that Paoli Battlefield has in September. So, Jim, I know that we're both from this area. I grew up in this area. Most people that I talk to when I mention the Battle of Paoli, most of them say I'd never heard of it which is astounding to you and I because it's the ninth largest (laughs) battle in the American Revolution. And now we do have it verified, Jim, that we have the second oldest (laughs) battlefield monument of the American Revolution. (laughs) Yes, correct. Uh, The battle, yeah, yes. We we finally did that thanks to your detective work at uh, Kings Mountain. Well, it it was a sweaty day, but it was worth it. And also, (laughs) I I forgot to mention you when I talked to the uh, park ranger, he is a Villanova graduate who was very wow. familiar with our area. So, but I'm digressing. So, Jim, before we talk about Heritage Day and the wonderful event that is, would you share with our listeners a little bit of the background of the Battle of Paoli and why it is so important to the American Revolution? Yeah, sure. The Paoli Battle, uh, the Battle of Paoli, as we call it, or as, as Tom McGuire called it, it can go by a thousand names. Some people call it the action above the Warren because it's also near the Warren Tavern. Some people call it the, uh, you know, Wayne's Affair. The name that I like that Tom McGuire said in one of his lectures was the Night of the Pointy Six. So um, <laughs> the, there, there are a lot of different names for it. The old, old story that I heard from, we can say older generations on this program without pointing the fingers, but... Uh, from from older generations, what I heard was that Anthony Wayne was camped here with his troops. There's only maybe 52 of them, 53 of them, and the British came in camp with their sneakers like the Viet Cong and slit their throats while they were sleeping, and that was the end of the... That was called the Paley Massacre. And Tom McGuire actually is a teacher at Malvern Prep, and when Malvern Prep was looking at selling the land that the battle happened on, or at least what was left of the land that it happened on. He raised up against them and said, no, we can't do it. And they formed with the borough of Malvern, Pat McGuigan, who was the township manager at that point, formed a committee called the Paoli Battlefield Preservation Fund. And that's who I'm president of, Arts on our, or, uh, sorry, Arts is on our board as well. <laughs> and we help protect, we, we defended from any kind of progress we protect it. We educate the public about what really happened on there. And when Tom McGuire went around and wrote this book, he not only went to American sources, but also went over to England and went to some of the English museums and libraries and are, you know, people who kept writings about what happened at Paoli. So he did do a terrific job of tracking everything down that made up this battle. And basically the battle gets its name, not from the town of Paoli, because one of the questions I always get is, why is it called the Battle of Paoli if it's in Malvern? Why didn't they call it the Battle of Malvern? Well, Malvern was founded in 1889, so 113 years after the battle, so obviously they couldn't call it that. So the next question I got is, well, how did they end up with that name? And it actually came from the Paoli Tavern, which used to be right by the train station. Right across from the train station, there's a bunch of shops, 
And we did put a sign there. The Paley Business Association put a plaque there. And actually one of our board members that Arch and I know very well, Bart Van Valkenburg, was very instrumental in getting us involved in that ceremony because that is how our battle got named. That tavern was halfway between the British camp in Tadifferin and Wayne's camp in Malvern. And obviously that tavern held a big key to it. And this was after the Battle of Brandywine. They met again after Washington ran first to Chester, then at Philadelphia. He took a pull of his troops. His troops said, you know, we went at the British again. Their pitch was up. They actually stood toe-to-toe with them on a battlefield at Brandywine, and they had a organized retreat back to Chester. They didn't run in panic, at least not in the beginning. When Green stepped in to stop the British advance on them at the tail end of the Battle of Brandywine, they were able, and also Wayne, don't forget him, he fought rear guard action as well to keep the Hessians from coming in from Chad Ford. But through both their efforts, there was an organized retreat back to Chester. He then went to Philadelphia, and as I said, his troops said, we want at them again. So they crossed Levering's Ford and basically followed the Lancaster Avenue, or today's Route 30, not the exact route because, as you know, through the years, the U.S. 30 has been straightened out and you'll, you'll see sometimes the old Lancaster Road weaving around Route 30. As Washington made his way up here, the British, who were still down in Brandywine at Dilworth Town, they had intelligence that Washington was on the move. So Cornwallis and Howe moved their troops basically up the spine of 202, and there was a battle that was going to happen on South Valley Hill, sort of present-day, kind of where Hershey Mill, Immaculata College area. That was one end of the battlefield. The other end of the battlefield would have been Boot Road and Phoenixville Pike, where there's a CVS store and an abandoned 7-Eleven there. There was two skirmishes fought on those pieces of property by basically it was militia and the head units of the British and also of the Hessians. And as soon as that skirmishing got underway, the clouds just opened up and it poured. And the American gunpowder got wet, because campfire wet gunpowder. The British even tried doing bayonet charges and they found that their boots were sticking in the mud and sucking their legs out of their boots so they couldn't charge after the Americans. The Americans retreated down South Valley Hill to the White Horse Tavern, which is still standing. It's on the corner of not really a corner, it's directly across the street from the Sweetford Corporate Center on Sweetford Road in East Whiteland Township. So that's where you'll see it. It's not on the corner of Plainbrook and Sweetford. It's actually uh, another house over from there. So that's where the White Horse Tavern is located. still there, still standing. From there, Washington got his troops together and they marched all the way up North Valley Hill and all the way through Chester Springs till we get to Yellow Springs Tavern. And at Yellow Springs Tavern, there was actually a tavern there at that time. Washington stopped, assessed everything that was there, and found out that through his wagons, which held a lot of the powder supply, through going through all these flooded creeks and such, his powder pretty much was destroyed. The, the, the cartridges that he had were destroyed for the infantrymen. So he had to get new cartridges. He knew that he had a supply at Warwick Furnace and decided to head there the next day. He was going to split his forces. He wanted to keep an eye on the British because he didn't want them to cross the Schuylkill River and be on the same side as Philadelphia. So he had Anthony Wayne, 
who knew the area like the back of his hand because he grew up in that area to get behind the British, keep an eye on them, and if they attempted to move, take the Swedes forward across the Schuylkill River, that he would attack their rear and slow them down. So it would give Washington a chance to come up with the rest of his army and sort of take how at that point. So the evening before the Battle of Paoli happened, Wayne wrote Washington that, you know, it'd be really great if you come to my side of the river and then we could just attack him in force and pin them against the swollen Schuylkill and that'll be the end of the war. And apparently what Wayne didn't know is Washington did get his letter, but wrote a reply and it laid out his entire battle plan. The messenger who is taking that message to Wayne gets captured by the British and the British now know exactly what Washington's going to do. Washington's going to take his army which is way down on the other, it's on the same side, he's on the same side as Wayne, but what he wants to do is cross the Schuylkill River at Parker's Ford to get on the Philadelphia side and then come all the way up and then block any of the river crossings that Howe is going to do. So while he's in the front, Wayne with his 2,100 Pennsylvanians plus the added militia support of the Maryland militia, which is about another 2,100 troops, will attack Howe in the rear. And between those two armies, they'll have him trapped, and that'll be, again, you know, endgame. So while that's going on on the American side, their way of thinking, the British learn from spies that there's another army somewhere behind them and that Washington's way down by the furnaces at this point. So what are they going to do on this point? So Howe assigned uh, General Gray to take care of Anthony Wayne's army that night and then the next day they can turn their full attention on George Washington if he shows up in their area. So he sent a contingent down Sweetford Road. He actually split his army, graded. He left 500 troops at the Paoli Tavern under the command of Colonel Musgrave, and then he took anywhere from 1,300 to 1,500 troops and attacked Anthony Wayne's camp. He wanted to try to attack from the west side and push him east towards the tavern where Musgrave and his 500 men were waiting. But when they got to the Warren Tavern, they didn't know which road to take to get to Wayne's camp. They found a blacksmith who did, and he led them. So when they attacked, they attacked from east to west, and there was nobody there to stop Wayne's troops. They could keep going. So when the British Army came and entered Wayne's camp, Wayne had four cannon and 26 wagons with them. And there were these three farmer's fences that he had to get out to get onto Sugartown Road, which would take him to King Road. And he didn't tear down these fences when he camped there. He only took one section of fence, just enough to get his cannon and his wagon through, because these fences were very sturdy. And Washington and Wayne are both farmers. They, wanna, they don't want to upset these patriot farmers that let them stay there. So as the attack happened, the cannons were supposed to go out first, the wagon second, the men last. They're all lined up, ready to go, and one of the cannons that goes through the fence breaks down right at the fence line. So instead of pushing that cannon aside, they tried to lift the cannon and reattach the wheels to it. And as that's going on, the British attack the camp. And at that point, finally, they were able to kind of push the cannon off on the side of the road to try to get some of the wagons and the rest of the cannons out. And they did, but most of his wagon train is captured. There's 2,000 troops right now. The British are trying to encircle them. Wayne has the 4th Pennsylvania, which he was the old colonel of that regiment, to lay in the woods and fire a couple of rounds at the British to push them back. 
And as they did, the second brigade was able to get out. And then the first brigade luckily was able to get out with Anthony Wayne and the troops still firing. They run past the Maryland militia, who's also on King Road at that point. It's a very new road. It was done in 1774. And some of those troops fire on Wayne's men until Smallwood puts them down and tells them to stop firing. They tell him, you got to get out of here. So he turns his troops around on the road. And as they're marching back towards the White Horse Tavern, the British lay in wait and ambush on the other side of the road, fire on the Merrill militia. And as General Smallwood said, there's no hope of keeping the men together. They fled. They said the wagoneers cut the reins to the horses and hopped on them and took off and have never been seen since. Wayne's troops, of course, also make it back to the White Horse Tavern. Of the 2,200 Maryland militia, less than 1,000 are left. At that point, the rest of them have fled, and the Chester County sheriffs are going to have a hard time trying to find these guys all through the fall and winter of 1777. The British keep the field. They stop pursuing the Americans because their objective was met. They've got rid of Wayne's threat in the rear of them. They return back to their camp near Valley Forge. And Washington, when he hears about this, is about to have his troops cover all the Ford crossings across the Schuylkill. He hears this and knows now that Wayne can't be any help to him. And apparently he pulls his troops away from the Valley Forge area because he thinks the British are going to attack more towards Redding. He sees torches in the night going towards Redding, and he thinks that the British are the Hessians. So he actually pulls his army off of the Ford crossings and back towards the Redding area. And the next day, the British are able to cross the Schuylkill River unopposed and march directly into Philadelphia without any more interference from Washington. So listeners, if you go out to the Paoli battlefield, there's signage on the field that you can go and look at different aspects of the field or go on the Paoli battlefield website. Jim does marvelous walking tours about twice a month during the warmer months of the year. Once every two months. Well, you should be doing it more than one. <laughs> Listener, yeah, well, listen. if, if we have more, if we have more interest, believe me, we will. The, we will. The walking tour I do is a two-hour walking tour. We start 1.30 at the Baptist Church across from the borough building, and I show you, uh, we kind of go over the history of what happened up to that point, then we show you ticket post three, which I won't ruin the story for, and then we walk all the way in to the battlefield through a swampy area, and then we walk all the way up the battlefield, we tell you about the battle, and then when we get to the grave site, we talk about what happened after the battle. The memorial that's there, which is the second oldest Revolutionary War monument in the United States that was dedicated September 20th, 1817, with 52 bodies in a mass grave there. We also have a centennial monument that was dedicated on September 20th, 1877, and we had the governor and our two U.S. senators here from Pennsylvania to help dedicate that monument. We also have monuments for World War One, World War II. And we also have a new one that is from Korea all the way to the Gulf Wars. Jim, share with our listeners, please, because this is one of the big events or the big event. Heritage Day, what day is it? Why people come? What can they see? Some of the things that people can experience at Heritage Day. Well, we are now the fourth Saturday of September. It's Saturday, September 23rd of this year. We'll have our... I guess it's our maybe sixth or seventh year of doing Heritage Day. And what this was, we got the inspiration from what these guys did 
before the Civil War. They actually gathered at the Paoli Tavern and they marched and solemn procession to the grave site. And they basically had speeches and helped work that day. And that happened every year on September 20th until the Civil War happened. And then it morphed into Decoration Day and then Memorial Day as we know it. So if you tie all those previous celebrations together with Memorial Day, Malvern Borough has the longest running continuous community Memorial Day of any city in the United States or borough or township or anything like that. So we're very proud to kind of help continue that. Our celebration itself, we have a military timeline from the Revolutionary War all the way to Vietnam of soldiers in dress, how they dressed during that period, what arms they took with them in the battle, and other displays you can see, the different knapsacks that they had, things they brought in, the knives, other things that they carried on. We also have a bunch of different historical sites. Historic Sugartown will be there. Historic Waynesboro will be there. And we have historical commissions such as Malvern Historical Commission to different Eastbound Historical Society will be there. And we have authors, Bruce Malday will be there. Try to think of who else we have. We, we have food trucks. We have the Locust Lane Brewery will be there. So you can have beer and, and work around the field and kind of see what's there. We have different actors portraying different people. We have Benjamin Franklin, who's our Mike Cochin. He's a retired machinist, and he has developed and actually done replica experiments for the Franklin Institute, the Franklin Carriage Museum that's there, and some other places that he has his invention that. He actually rebuilt them from Benjamin Franklin's plans and showed how he used them and also how he demonstrated them. But he'll be there with some of his scientific experiments. We also have Chris Reardon, who'll be there with his antique gun collection from the 1600s to the mid-1800s. Uh, so you can see what kind of different rifles they had back then. Trying to think of who else will be there. I think we have our button lady, Marsha Bell, will be there showing you sewing stuff. We're trying to get Sandy Johnson from Chad Ford Historical to do baking demo. So we have that. We have stuff for the kids, too. We have face painting and uh, balloon animals that someone does for us. And then to close out the end of Heritage Day from 3 to 4, we have an honor ceremony at our grave site where we lay wreaths, we play taps, we play Amazing Grace in the bagpipes, and then we uh, have a 21-gun salute from the American Legion Post 668, who will also be there as well. Don't forget one more thing, the National Guard and the USO will be there as well. Listeners, it's very family-orientated and friendly. So we see a lot of adults and a lot of parents bringing out their kids and there's many things that will interest the kids particularly and one of the things i love jim is hopefully most of these kids or all these kids they'll begin to get a little bit of understanding and it'll grow as they grow and mature about local history so it's very family orientated it's family friendly it's kid friendly there'll be a lot of things there that we see and have for the whole family to come and spend some time at, at Heritage Day. Yes, it really is. I mean, we, we have a lot for kids to do and see, and we do firing demos for day so you can see how Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War One, and World War Two, how they went in with their weapons and, and fired them. We do a firing demo on that, and that's very interesting to see that as one of our big things that we do during Heritage Day. So this is... Listener, September 23rd. Jim, what is the time and the cost? 11 o'clock. 
the gate the gates open well they'll be open before then but the ceremony starts at 11 a.m and it runs all the way till 4 p.m and between three and four is when we do our refling and honor ceremony at the grave site and what is the cost and where can they or tickets well, right now, the cost is $10 for one person or $20 for a couple or a family. We don't really want to charge a family with all the kids. So what we do is do we just do a family or a couple, it's $20 and you're in. So if you have five kids, it's 20 bucks to get in. If you have two kids, it's 20 bucks to get in. So we don't try to do you on that. Now, right now, we have a sale. If you go to our website, remember paoli.org, and you look for Heritage Day under events, we actually do have discount tickets that you can purchase. We give you 20% off September 11th. So if you get on the website before that date, you can get discount tickets. Or for an individual, it's $8. And for a family, instead of being 20 it's $16. So you save $4 as a family or $2 as a individual. If you get your tickets now between September 11th, and again, that's rememberpayelite.org, it's a PayPal link that you can pay by debit or credit card. And please use that. You'll save money if you wait till after that date or if you show up at the event. It'll be $10 for an individual or $20 for a couple. Or And listeners, Paoli Battlefield will have t-shirts there that are available, hats. And Jim, some of the books that we are able to sell, you mentioned Tom McGuire. What is his book and how can people purchase that? His book and the other books that we have. You can either purchase them for our website, rememberpaoli.org, but if you show up at the event, you'll save all the shipping costs on it, which can be as high as 10 or $20, depending on how many books you get. But we have Tom McGuire's Battle of Paoli book, signed by the author. We also have another book that he did called Stop the Revolution, which is about an aborted peace conference that involved Benjamin Franklin and John Adams and the two Howe brothers. We also have one of his books of a two-campaign volume book series on the Philadelphia campaign. We have volume one, which is basically stopped on the roads to Valley Forge. The second chapter of the second book right now is out of print. So we're making arrangements with the printer to get that one reprinted. We also have, from Michael Harris, his two books, one on the Battle of Brandywine, the other on Clouds, Paley, and Germantown, which is just called Germantown. It covers those three battles. He just came out with a new book that we're going to be getting, which is the Battle of Forts, Fort Mifflin and Fort Mercer. So that'll be upcoming at a later date. But you can purchase hat books and t-shirts online at rememberpaley.org. We have a store that you can purchase them from. As I said, you will pay shipping if you go that route. But if you show up on Heritage Day, you just get the item. Of course, we don't have to ship it to you. You'll be right there to pick it up. And listen, if you do, and we really encourage you to come to Heritage Day, You'll be able to meet the famous Jim Chris and everything to see he's actually a human being and does sleep. And I don't know how much he sleeps, but with all the things he gets involved in. So, So Jim, again, thank you. Listeners, the Battle of Paoli is tremendously important. We need to know that and understand it. And it's right in our backyard. And we highly encourage you to bring you and your family to Heritage Day. It's a wonderful day of learning and experience and so many things that you'll be able to see and understand and grasp a little bit of the history, particularly of the local history that we have here in our area. So again, Jim, thank you for sharing a little bit on the background of the Battle of Paoli. 
listeners go on the Paoli Battlefield website to see what else, uh, so many other events that they have there. Jim does the walking tours and you'll see so many things that we have available. So again, Jim, thank you for coming and sharing. You're welcome. Thank you, Arch. And we want to see everybody at Heritage Day, which is September 23rd. 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Go on the website and get the discount tickets before September 11th. Again, Jim, thank you for sharing with us about Paoli and, and Heritage Day coming up. No yeah. problem. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for coming and sharing. This is WFYL 1180 AM, Working for Your Liberty. <laughs> <laughs>